Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John. And welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. And to avoid any lazy negativity, we have decided to make this a drinking game. Drink! Yeah, any cr- negative criticism about a film is allowed, but we try to keep it positive here, not like those other stuffy news movie podcasts you talk about. So if we get negative or shitty about a film, you're going to hear this sound. That means we're drinking, people. Dave, you can't take yeah. a drink in the middle of our intro, bro. So pour yourselves a glass. <laughs> you have the next Give line. What the hell? Give it up for the films we love. And perhaps Maybe I was trying to do it like Ventura style. You know? No, you yeah. didn't. And, and the films that to love. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't rehearse it. So uh, yeah, obviously that didn't work. All right, people. That's the that's the scoop. That's what's going on. We have <laughs> two great intro. films to talk about. All right, but let's head over to our fucking shout outs first. <laughs> shout out! Shout out! Shout outs! We drink beer. We have a beer sponsor. His name is Carlos Barozzo. His handle is C Bar Twenty Nineteen. You can find it on Instagram for all the live updates on everything he's doing. Come with that brewmaster. They're drinking the beers. I'm not. I'm jealous. Give him a follow. It's C Bar 2019. That is C B A R R O Z O B A R 2019. And as always, the music you hear on this episode and every single episode is provided by the artist Dasein. That is Dasein, D A S E I N. If you like the music, go on over to soundcloud.com forward slash Dasein dash artist. You can download everything for free. Also, as always, if you can just rate, Review, subscribe to us. The handles on all the platforms are at the love of cinema pod, except for Twitter. It is just the love of cinema. So if you could give us some action, we're going to really appreciate it. Back to you. All right, people. We are now in Uh week four of our segment. It was the best of film. It was the worst of film of 2020, Mm. where we are going to discuss two films. First, we always start with our presumed award season film so oscars golden globes all that kind of stuff again we are not odds makers but today we have chosen mank ow i just hit my headphones mank directed by <laughs> david fincher do have pre-show written He's by his father drunk. jack fincher starring gary oldman at all and our presumed Razzie favorite which will be our second film in this series. Today is Capone, starring Tom Hardy. Did you know that Tom Hardy made a Capone movie this past year? Probably not a great sign. (laughs) So we're going to talk about that film second. But before we do, let's go around the horn really quick with a nice round of what you've been watching. Dave, I have a feeling I know at least one answer. Um, yeah, I, I did some more of the Marvel stuff. I finished up with Endgame. I actually changed my tune in Endgame this time on the rewatch. Um, sitting there when I went in without complete and utter like over the top expectations, it's good. It's, I mean, it's not, is it the best film in the world? No. Is it like, but it's, it's good. It's solid. And I feel like they wrapped up what they wanted to do. Um, I also, I discovered this little, uh, gem on Amazon prime. Um, it's a series called the feed and it's set in like the future Mm. where basically you have Facebook built into your head. And so you're connected to the entire world and the internet through your brain and vice versa. You can share your life uh, and just like anything that you're doing and it takes a visual feed off your eye and that sort of thing. And someone finds a way to tamper with it and all hell breaks loose. I'm not kidding. One of the best tension builders I think I've ever seen on like how to build tension in a TV show. There's one scene in it where he's on like some, because these people get taken over and they just snap like that. And there's this one scene where I'm on the, I was watching it on the train and I'm like sitting there like clenching up on the train. Like it was, it was a really good, uh, really good show for tension, really slow, but good tension, good, slow tension build. Nice. Shout out to the feed. Shout out to Bryce Dallas Howard and black mirror. That's like my favorite black mirror episode. Oh yeah. Nose dive. Yes. Nose Thank you. John. Nice. Uh, I, I discovered something last week, and I'm not discovered's not the right word because I've heard some film pods talking about this. I've heard a couple, you know, I've seen some critics write about it, and I was resisting for no good reason. It's a film that's on Prime, Amazon Prime, that's called The Vast of Night. And I'm going to encourage you guys to watch it and everyone listening. And I, I think after you watch it, you might agree with me. I think this thing should have made our list for some possible awards. It is my favorite film I've seen this year for, for last year. It's my favorite new film of 2020. First wow. film by Andrew Patterson, written, directed, 50s Americana. 
little sci-fi stuff there for you. It kind of feels like an Outer Limits sci- um, Twilight Zone what episode, it, but it has a really it? interesting spins on it. What is it with first-time directors knocking it out of the park with sci-fi? I like, mean, right? It's, it's great. Just, yeah. And this is a fresh telling. There's some really innovative, really interesting filmmaking techniques that I don't even want to talk to you about. So go check it out. Hmm. We'll check back in next week. Maybe this thing will make our potential Oscars list. I also checked out um, Disney Docs, The Imagineers. Has anybody, anybody <laughs> watched that? That was super no. fun. Got oh, me yeah. into the spirit. And I started watching some of the James Bond. Uh, Jeff, you mentioned casino royale not too long ago on the pod and i hadn't seen mm. that one in years and years so i watched that and quantum of solace i might keep going but fun stuff how about you just nice. just before you start i don't know whether you noticed but peter mcleans dropped in on the uh the facebook chat saying g'day hey g'day, peter. yeah i don't know g'day. Whether, yeah it's possibly just wanted me to say it i don't know <laughs> yeah <good. laughs> peter, keep, yeah. The, keep the chat Speaks, covered peter yeah. we want to talk to you we some, love do some aussie talk property daddy <laughs> let's do it um, I watched uh, I, I watched WandaVision, of course. I hadn't seen it mm. yet, so I just watched it all. Dave, I just want a very short answer. Is it happening too fast? Did you wish they, dra- they, they dragged it out a little more, or are you happy with what's going the on? Biggest, the biggest biggest criticism with from everyone is they dragged it out too long. Too Everyone's, long? No, yes. I wanted a series. I was happy with the sitcom format. I was ready to like really have like, oh, they're a not, full they're not, season. They're absolutely not done with the sitcom format. Uh, now oh, I think geez. you'll just get the inside and outside. Because they've still all got right. a whole heap of sitcoms to go through. They've they've only up to the seventies. They got the eighties, nineties, up to two thousands, like single all camera. Right. Comedy. So, yeah. So anybody yeah. who hasn't watched yet, okay, we're having fun. Go go along with the ride. So Wandavision, and then last Sunday after this episode, I watched the Peanut Butter Falcon. Very random, but uh, I love up. I liked it. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. cool. I li- I like movies like that. Simple, not a lot of characters. I thought it was cool. Shout out to Shia. You know that shot uh, here in the Outer Banks, North Carolina. I, you know what? I, I saw Outer Banks this summer. I know uh, all the, with all the teenage girls and Chloe and I, um, and, and it looks exactly like Outer Banks. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, awesome. Okay. So that's our round of what we've been watching. You can go ahead and follow us and tell us what you've been watching. Um, all right, mm. let's do it. So best of film, it. worst of film. We are of course going to start with Mank. Now, to those of you who heard about Mank and are kind of thinking, what is Mank? That sounds familiar. Long story short, David Fincher, who we did seven recently he also did the social network uh and a lot of other fantastic films david fincher's father jack fincher wrote one screenplay and then died a long time ago and david fincher has been trying to do this film for a long time and he decided to do this this year it is about the screenwriter of citizen kane the great orson welles film orson welles and mank share screen credit the official title and the credit comes up in the film but more or less mank wrote this script and it's about him, about what's going on in Hollywood at the time. This is the Citizen Kane came out in 1941, um, but the film does a lot of flashbacks throughout the 30s, where during the Great Depression, it was basically, haha, relevant to now. It was a lot of like the democratic socialists trying to share the wealth with the people to help get people out of poverty. And then the, the Republicans saying that people need to work their way out of poverty, I think is the general take that they want me to take away having seen this movie. So a lot of relevant themes going on here. And um, that's that's basically yeah. the story. Media manipulation, in, everything. Yes, very very relevant to our times. Yeah. Um, it's filmed in black and white. Definitely stylistic. This is definitely a love to film, especially film at that time. Um, yes, so it kind of has the vibe that Citizen Kane has, but modernized. I think is is probably a good takeaway for an original description. Who wa- who wants to go first with initial reactions? What do you think? Let's. We were kind of chit-chatting about this before we started, but let's just kick it off. Has everyone seen Citizen Kane mm-hmm. once, twice? I have seen it once, times. Uh, except for the dance sequence. Uh, for a while, I did a stint in a theme park, and it was played on a screen uh, regularly, the the the, uh, the birthday sequence. I'm sure you don't love it because of that, but I love that sequence <laughs> in the context of the movie. I love the way they filmed it. And... Anyway. Yes. Nice. Um, um, I, I have it, and I actually knew that you had and I was thinking about watching it this week, but I'm happy to be unsullied. And actually, it's going to come up later, but I'm happy to be an unsullied asshole film person who has Whoa, never dude. seen Citizen Kane. Yeah, I don't think but... I knew that. I'm sure you told me that at some point along the hey, way. Jeff. But I think I'm... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, dude, go fuck yourself. I've, done, <laughs> I've, I've walked up the AFI list. I did Casablanca. I did all the AFI stuff, and I just never... You didn't touch it. It's a good movie, man. It's a really good movie. I know. That's what, that's what I hear. Got to see it for uh, Mank. Dave, let me let me ask you a direct question because mm-hmm. I've read a bunch of articles about the making of this movie and 
you yeah. know, a lot of them are how Fincher led up to this with what Jeff was referring to with his dad. I think he wrote it in 2003. So like since then, no, he's been it was kicking way around, back. This is this tw- over 20 years. I've been trying to get this made. Yeah. yeah, it was over 20 years, but I feel, didn't something happen in the early 2000s where they thought they were going to get it off the ground before his, like, I think yeah, like and right they, after his the, dad passed or right stu- before or the something? Studio, I think that was the time the studio balked because they didn't want to shoot it in color. Like, the Fincher didn't want to yeah. shoot it in color, and the studio balked at releasing a black and white film. Yeah. So, filmmaking-wise, though, he, he did eventually... I don't know if anyone remembers on the pod, but we talked about David Fincher in an article several, maybe two months ago, maybe a month ago. And he was talking Mm -hmm. about Mank, but he was also having a lot of commentary on what it is like being an auteur filmmaker that has now signed on with one of the the monster streamers. He's had a good deal with Netflix basically since House of Cards. And this is, I think, his first film that he has put, feature film that he has put straight out to Netflix. Um, But he sends a couple, multiple series and everything. So one of the things that he loves so much about it is that not only does he have Final Cut, which he's had for a while in his contract, but he has absolute creative control. So they basically just hand you the you know mm. keys to the car and then you get to go. So filmmaking-wise, Dave, what do you think? He did all the old school stuff. He did in-room dissolve. So he, did, he faded lights correctly. He was messing with the aspect ratios. I'm not sure if it worked for me overall that he filmed it completely digitally. The aspect but, ratio of uh, 2.2 to 1, I haven't seen that in a long time. That's, yeah, a uh, long time. He definitely threw it back. Yeah. But I thought it was really cool. I loved all the in-room fades. I thought that was fun. Uh, do you think it worked, though, for the storytelling, or were you a little distracted by the old-school filmmaking techniques? No, um, I, after the pretty much by the time you got to the back lot, the first flashback, I was on board with yeah. it. Um, the only time yeah, they lost too. me yeah. was uh, when they went outside in the garden scene and they committed to this look. But the garden scene is, of course, dark and underlit. And I'm sure, like, you're releasing this for Netflix, so people are going to watch it in their living room. So I'm sure that, like, it would have been fine on a cinema screen, but on the on my TV at home, um, I had to turn the lights out to be able to see any detail at all in that shot. It was just, like, the, mm. what the, the way they were shooting it, which is exactly how it would have appeared on a movie screen. Um, right. I Yeah, I couldn't really see what was going on. Apart from that, like hats off for committing to that. And like even the audio, it was like monaural. Um, they even yeah. added the reverb of an uncarpeted picture house mm-hmm. in, onto the soundtrack. Yeah, at, first, was- at first I was yeah. like, what the fuck is that reverb? Like, why, why is that on everything? And then I realized it's meant to sound like you're sitting in a, a 1940s picture house. There's no carpet. Yeah. There's no wall buffeting. Like the sound's coming from one direction only. Like, yeah, that's exactly what it's meant to sound like. And I always, I've always noticed that, you know, a lot of times you can hear a, a soft echo mm. uh, because of the way they used to record ADR in harder rooms, or if they were recording live audio, which was more rare, but if they did it, they were always on a stage. So you can yeah. hear echo in a lot of old movies with, with, with dialogue. They're I did, outside I did in front of a, the house and you hear an echo and you're like, what, what is that? I did have a little snicker to myself that like we're, when we're making films, they, they put all the things back in that we spend so much time trying to take out. Or get rid of it. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's like yeah. no, let's put that all back in. It's like all right, let's make this like an indie film. But Story yeah. wise, though, I thought um, I think this is getting a little bit of flack. Um, there are some people who are already saying that Fincher did not go after Wells hard enough, and that they kind of let him. You know, people are some, so. I've heard some comparisons that you know everyone everyone who has mm-hmm. ever c- criticized Orson Wells has said that he came out so strong, but he was a you know a real megalomaniac in 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 the beautiful way like a true artist and he had a terrible time making movies after citizen kane because studios movies lost so much money they lost so much money they were very you know very ahead of their time in a lot of ways but he was mostly just he was had so much ego he did not want to play ball with studios Mm. and i think some people have made comparisons to david fincher in that regard not from a financial standpoint but from a creative control standpoint and uh, I know he referenced something in a Criterion article I read where he basically said, I think the interviewer asked him directly, do you think your father would be proud of the product that got to the screen? And he said, I think so. But if there was any criticism, my dad would say you were too soft on Wells. That he wanted him to kind of point <laughs> out the fact that Wells was a, there was a little bit more of a creative war, made, hmm. perhaps going on between Minkowitz, who's the, who Gary Oldman plays yeah, from the Minkowitz, you, you know and what? Orson I, Welles. Yeah. I got that. I don't, I feel like to, I to do anything, it didn't bother me at all. To do anything yeah. more would make Wells too much of a, 
an overbearing yeah. presence in the story of yes. Mangowitz. It's not about Wells. Yeah. Exactly. It's not about Wells. I so loved I, yeah. that it was basically the vehicle of the phone call. Like the, mm. this overbearing presence mostly yeah. speaks to, to Mankiewicz through the phone. This, you know, this, this device that was really, you know, being used in such a way. It was a big deal to get a phone call back then, especially Jeez. when he was in this film. He's isolated in the desert, writing by himself. And every now and then he gets a call from the director God to bitch at him about something or confuse him yeah. or trick him with the alcohol. I thought it was so effective. I, I that really, I really related that because I've been on gigs where like, when the phone rings, it's a horror show. It's like it's like the the camera's <laughs> zooming in and panning out the same. Time. It's like yeah, I don't want to answer that, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, that I, that really resonated with me. Yeah, it felt it felt like it could be a radio play, which yes. is obviously what Orson Welles did to basically get Hollywood contracts because he was a theater actor, um, and a little bit of a traveler. Who knows where the fuck he got the money to like travel around and 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 you know learn theater? He's twenty four years old when he was writing and directing and basically. Um, working with studios and financiers and shit. 24 years old. Mm. Uh, didn't go to college. I'm sure he had backers because like, he, he became like the darling of Hollywood for a while. So people just throw money at you and take you places. It was RKO, right? RKO took a huge risk, RKO? I think. Yeah, yeah, they basically, it, yeah. it says it in the opening crawl, they basically gave him full creative control, do what you want, work with who you want. Yeah. Yeah, but it does have that feel that it could work um, as a radio play. It's definitely it's definitely a style that takes some getting used to to modern audiences, I will say, especially people who have not seen Citizen Kane, which is why, thankfully, I, I, t- I chose that outlet. I started this movie early in the week, too, so even before I would have made the decision to watch Citizen Kane. Um, so it does take some getting used to. I, I would I would preface to anybody who, who hasn't seen Citizen Kane if they want to see this film, because Gary Oldman's going to be getting buzz for the next couple of weeks. He's going to be sure. nominated for sure. I don't know about anybody else, if Fincher mm. will, if his dad will get a screenwriting credit or whatever. Oh, that'd be um, nice. Because I believe this is I believe this is not the original screenplay category is an interesting one because there aren't that many popular movies that are critically successful, commercially successful, if you can even use that term this year that are original all of everybody's based off of something and so that is where you get your like ryan johnson got his for knives out it's like that's where so i i feel like jack fincher is going to get one but again it's not about the academy awards all i'm saying is that people are going to want to know if they should watch this it's very streamable on netflix and it takes some getting used to to this format side, side note i still haven't seen knives things. out by the way I, every time i go to put it on oh my god it's every so time good. i go to put it on, on though my Star brain goes remember what happened to star wars no, 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 it's so, oh my god, get too. in there. Yeah. Um, and the cast is so yeah. good. Okay, we're not talking about Knives yeah. Out, Dave. <laughs> so anyway, I, I will say, especially when you start seeing like intro, flashback, and and it's they're talking about Mankiewicz's, so basically they're writing it as if they're they're narrating his mm. life, Mankiewicz's life. So the flashbacks are almost like what you would write at the top of the screenplay page. And, you know, some people who are not like stuffy, like, oh, you, that's so filmy. I, I, yeah, I, I've worked with um, with Celtics or Final Draft or whatever. It's like that that might catch you off guard. And it's in black and white on top of that. So like some people might just start to reach for their phone. And I want to give people a heads up. Like you might have to make the commitment to watch this. Yeah, phone. I mean, the I funny say. thing is I went in cold uh, for this, like, and I knew kind of was your film I knew, guy, you know I, what but I, mean? I knew kind of what it was about, but it almost lost me. Like the the first part of it is a yeah. little bit. There's not really much there. They're just getting him set up. I'm like the it's in black and white. I'm like I don't know if I'm gonna like this. But watch it for ten minutes, and I challenge you to be able to tear yourself away. Mm. Like ten, I by 10 would to, take that challenge because there are a couple times to, where I was okay to pause it. Okay, by ten mm-hmm. to twenty minutes, it, like I was hooked. I was like, nice. oh, I need to watch the story, and then of course, you know, Charles it. Dance turns up, and you're like, yeah. yeah. Well, of course, Charles Dance, yeah. Jeff, was it just, uh, did the style get in the way of the story and the story was okay, or did the that's, story also lose you a little bit? That's what I say. I was I was curious about acting, asking you guys, too. Um, I don't, I wasn't lost. I liked this movie, didn't love it, liked it a lot. Yeah. And obviously it's brilliant. And, and I feel like I have this conversation like once a month on this podcast where I know that this was made by masters. I don't think anybody watching this isn't aware that this is directed perfectly or, you know, as, as well as it, as it needs to be. It was written airtight. The script is really amazing. Uh, the Gary Oldman's lines, his pacing, the timing, mm. the choice of words. It's really great. It's just not very conversational because it's meant to be that time period. Like, as I said before, like a radio play, it doesn't seem like everything seems calculated a little bit. And they like, you know, the, the clever lines, they say like, 
Are you ever serious? Yes, only about things that are funny. <laughs> like they have those kinds of things. And, you know, it just it just takes getting used to because it's not very realistic to uh, like actual Dude, reality. When that line was dropped, so, my wife looked at me and went, that's you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and it makes sense. And it checks out. Like, that's not but cool. like, you have to enter the world. You have to mm-hmm. en- you have to enter the world. And there were some times where there are these long, lush moving scenes that you see in old movies. But it, we're not at the Naval Observatory. We're at we're at Mang's flashback, you know, or something, you know, the, the stuff in the ballroom was fantastic. But the garden scene with Dave, I, that was for me, mm. too. I was like, you know, this this doesn't feel like Rebel Without a Cause's, you know, scenes like it's, it just it seemed like he was talking to Marion Deciphered. I didn't know what they were talking about. And they were walking around and, and kicking around puddles. And I was like, what? What's, I didn't yeah. get what the point was. And I, I, I just, some things felt a little slow, which movies back then did feel slow. So was this made for Fincher? Yes. Was it made for a modern audience? Only if you're on board. That's what I would say. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I was see, like, man. my fingers on the trigger here. And I was like, he didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can yeah, do it, stop, Dave. Stop. You can do it. Lean it's, into no, it. Okay. No, you worded it so well. I'm like, I can't mess with that. <laughs> yeah. Look, no, I know this, I, this is a fantastic. It's a good movie. I'm not going to rewatch it, but it's a really, really good movie. I mm. think, I mean, I'm not sure if it was a really, really good movie. To be honest with you. I think. I think mm. I, okay. All right. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> here we go. That's for both of us. <laughs> It was made. I, uh, as, it was made as well as he could have made it, but you know. I think so, and I mean, obviously, this is Cat said is with great. love and respect, just like just like you did. I, I know his dad wrote it, and I know it's an awesome thing. <laughs> David Fincher is notorious for for pushing screenplays to their essential intention and obstacles. He, he he's worked with really famous screenplay writers. He's worked with across genres, and he is apparently, you know, again, a, a real. And I mean this in the best way possible, a real tyrant for for making sure that script is not, we're not filming a fucking frame of this movie until we all know the story is up front and center and it's captivating. And there was a little bit of me that was, that was curious if he relied or if he thought that maybe the obstacle of Gary Oldman as Herman Mankiewicz's addiction to alcohol and his mania yeah. that came from it might be enough of an obstacle to cover the entire story. And I don't know if it was, I'm not going to say it wasn't like, I, I still enjoyed watching this movie and I love, you know, old movies. So I, I definitely had to, I mean, I didn't have as much of a problem, like kind of sinking into that style, but I kept waiting for a new obstacle to be introduced. Obviously there was, you know, the, the fun filmmaking things that were uh, mm. not filmmaking is in technically filmmaking is in the story of the movie. There was time, there were scheduling, there were budgets, there were things that Herman Mankiewicz was up against that he had to get this script out to. He had creative resistance from the, one of the producers who was kind of his point man between Wells and him. So there were the usual things that I was expecting. But personally, for him, I don't know if there was enough of an obstacle other than the addiction and the scheduling for Mankiewicz that made me feel like I was kind of dissolving into his world and not watching a movie about a really famous movie. I mean, he was the and obstacle, I I... <laughs> to be honest. He he didn't take yeah. anything did seriously. That work for you, he got drunk and ruined his career many times. He had like ga- like issues with gambling. He was his own obstacle. I mean, and it was it was almost like when you watch. Uh, the only thing I can compare it to is watching um, Breaking Bad, where you get like yeah. three quarters of the way through the season and Walter's starting to get it together, and it's like, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna make it this time. He's gonna he's gonna turn it all around, and then something happens. Yeah. You're like, Walter, no. And like that's what it yeah. was like yes, at least five or six times in this movie. But, but but what Breaking Bad knew is that they had to keep it exciting. So this film is a little different because Mank can be clever and he can work the rooms. And but let's we haven't talked about the social element. The social element and the and the um by social I mean he's a social critic, aka he's a supporter of um Upton Sinclair's bid for governor, for instance, and he was considered a socialist. Um, and the Republican ended up winning. Uh, and that comes up a lot in this. So it's basically he's an alcoholic and also his political ideology does not fit in with the Hollywood elites who he's bawling with because he's a writer for all of their you know big picture studio films. So those two elements we haven't talked about too much. Back to Breaking Bad, he's he, he's selling drugs and he's working with criminals. So there's always the, that exciting element that can come mm-hmm. out. This, it's clever conversation. It's um, his brilliance, which is good, but it's like, the problem is we know Citizen Kane gets made. 
We yeah. know it happens. Yeah. Whether or not he finishes it, honestly, if it ended and it was like Orson Welles had to do the rewrites, I'd be like, who the fuck cares? Like, great. Manx still wrote the script. I don't care who wrote the rewrites. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the, 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 the Apollo 13, for instance, has to work the whole film exactly. to convince you this might not work. Exactly. But this, the whole movie, we know that's, that, that this movie is going to be made. So mm. we need, like, what are the other sprinklings? And if they're going to go for the social criticism element of it or the alcoholic like thing of it if that's going to be the punch but they don't i i don't know that that's where that's why i'm that's, there's something about that's, that that's that the thing though. like me, the, the movie isn't explaining that the movie got made it's explaining why the movie had the content it did because it that's, it, that's, it deals with all Good of point. his issues with everyone throughout the film who influenced his writing yeah and there yeah, was so very... i should say that should we care about that that that's the question. It's like, well, these characters in Citizen Kane are actually these people in Manx real life. Yeah, that that's an interesting. Yeah, question. I mean, if you if you it know the, the the story behind Kane, it, it that was like the that writing that was a giant fuck you to that guy. It was yeah, big great. time, and, and there was cool. there was that's a very cool. meta yeah. aspect of it about the uh, what what lines can we cross to bring truth into story when it's based on real life, and how much do we pull from real life and everything, but. I think I ultimately do agree with you, Jeff. I, and that's one reason why I was so specifically, I wasn't let down, but I was a little surprised that a director like David Fincher, who has pulled off what you were talking about, how do we know it happens? Or how do we not, uh, how are we going to be surprised and held in suspense to see if this thing actually gets pulled off when he has made movies like The Social Network, Seven, Fight Club, where you kind of, he he's really good at towing the line with suspense and tension. Even Benjamin Button, you, you kind of knew what that movie was about before yeah, you went great, in. Great, underrated movie. Yeah. A, I love that movie. It's it, there are problems with it, but that thing you're talking about, he does kind of pull you along with a pretty good. I'm not sure where this is going to go after this, even though you already know that how that movie's going to go. This one was maybe the first David Venture movie where I felt like I think he was hoping that we were going to have a a lot of fun, as Dave said, just watching this movie get pieced together creatively in Mankwitz's head mm. while he's dealing with his obstacles. And I think by not introducing anything new that would make me actually say I wasn't sure how it was going to come together. Uh, yeah, I, just, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there was, glad, there was I mean, great, we all had fun. There were some great moments. There's a great, great couple of lines in there, I, I will. Like the walk and talk mayor speech near the beginning. Yeah. is amazing and then uh the fact that he literally after hiring him and doing this whole speech walks in and tells everyone that they need to cut their salaries by 50 percent. like i i've that is an incredible that is game, a, yeah. like not only is it that it's like that is happening in new york right now there are there are and companies that, yes, trying exactly, to yeah. get people to take pay cuts because of the pandemic right and would this movie would this movie have have changed a little bit if it was if it came out next year and they filmed it this year? Do you think? Do you think? Because I know it's his dad's script, so he wants to be. But like that kind of stuff, it doesn't need to be socially relevant. Hmm. But as Dave just said, very very successful billionaire who has servants at his home, well modern day billionaire, then millionaire, but servants in his home, is convincing Mankiewicz walk and talk. You know everything's great. They pull the strings. They they control the wealth. And then he goes in and convinces all of his, the workers that they have to take a fifty percent, and they agree to the to it. So it's political and it's social, socioeconomical and stuff that the we're biggest, dealing with. The today. biggest heartbreak and, out yeah. of this film is the entire state of California could possibly have been saved, but wasn't because an actress had already made her exit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they could have mm-hmm. stopped everything that happened dead in its tracks, but yeah, like I was like, that's. That's such a, yeah, I can't. I don't have a word. Jeff, you touched that. on it earlier. Cool Jeff, you touched on it earlier with the the Sinclair references and him running for presidential primary. Sinclair wrote the Jungle and Oil, which there will be blood is based off of. But the yeah. Jungle is his bit one about the meat pack. So he was basically running as a socialist at the time, and I think I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to post diagnose what could have been done or what should have been done, but I will say my favorite parts about this movie. And the moments where I was the most hopeful and most kind of like, what's he going to do is when, when Mank was engaging with that part of the story, there's a moment where he just goes outside of a club and he's smoking a cigarette and he sees Sinclair giving a a platform speech, literally on a soapbox. There's times where he references him in parties with the social elite around a, you know, a couple different 
cocktail hours in in a, a famous dinner table scene at R- William Randolph Hearst's house, who's played by Charles Dance, who was really wonderful. Um, mm. I kept, I kind of kept hoping that when I went into this movie as an audience member, I kind of said to myself, David Fincher is either going to crawl out of this trap and blow my mind away, or the trap for this movie is a man sitting in a typewriter, which is always when you're writing about the creation of somebody writing something. There's a couple other famous movies about writers. How do you, how do you not just point a camera at somebody when they're like thinking of stuff and typing keys on a typewriter? Uh, I think Shout out to Baz Luhrmann. I think he did a pretty good job of showing how somebody will be influenced by a story with Moulin Rouge. How does a writer tell a story? How are they compelled to tell a story? Where does all of their food for thought come from? And I think I wanted a little bit more of that and a little less of a fixed set that we keep going back to in this movie, which is uh, Herman Mankiewicz in bed at this this chateau in the desert writing mm. this screenplay. And I wasn't mad every time we went back there, but I was way more engaged when he was fired up by what was happening in the real world, not when he was alone dealing with his alcoholism. And I, that, is, that is no shame on David Fincher or Gary Oldman. He played it beautifully. I just know that me yeah, personally, I kept being like, I leaned forward whenever Sinclair came into it and whenever he would disagree with Louis B. Mayer on the politics and then I would sit back whenever he was writing, like actively writing. So I don't, I don't know yeah. what that says. I don't know if anybody that's, else felt that way. Well, let's 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 start heading towards the exit with a with, on a high note. Like, what what else were the exciting things that, like Dave? What what were the other like story things that excited? Obviously, the filmmaking is um, exciting. Yeah, the filmmaking is definitely exciting. I just wanted one quick note on the filmmaking. They uh, did you see the IMDb um, trivia note where they 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 shot this, shot this on a red helium in eight K. Mm-hmm. In monochrome. Oh, beautiful. So no color negative exists of this film. He was that committed <laughs> to a black and white film. Jesus. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's, it's gorgeous. Like, it's like it's actually, I know I made that comment yeah. early on, yeah. but it, it really is incredible. Mm. Story-wise, my favorite scene for sure is the cocktail hour scene when everyone is sitting around in Hearst's uh, parlor in front of the fireplace, and mm. he's standing there in front of the fireplace. Yeah. And Amanda Seyfried, who is... Really good in this. I thought she did a really she excellent job. People are tossing yeah, around stories. Indeed. And it. Uh, Jeff, you may have made a comment about well, would this be different if it was made this year? You know, this year we had the pandemic, but like we've been building up with our yeah, political tension to this year. So I think the illusions were, were pretty conscious. I know his father wrote this years ago, right. but the way people accidentally, uh, the, that, that couch full of the girls... And the way they accidentally started making comments that were offensive and inappropriate to Louis B. Mayer and his assistant. And then Hearst mm-hmm. had to kind of like get in there and say, shush now, shush now. And then Mank just couldn't fucking stand it. Smartest person in the room. And he had to say something. Yeah. I felt like there were a lot of moments mm-hmm. in this movie where Mankiewicz was a mouthpiece for a reason that I, I have been looking for yeah. for like, you know, four years. So that was really breathtaking. There was a lot of tension in that scene set in this very static upper class kind of setting and I, I i it was it worked for me beautifully i could have watched a whole movie set in that room <laughs> yeah me too that was cool, cool. what about you, dave any other I story mean, parts that like, jumped out like to i you? said the walk and talk my speech for me was a that was a moment mm. um that was so well done um yeah. i also love when they were pitching the story at the bit near yeah. the beginning and they go through this, through this whole pitch and his closing line is that's director proof pissed myself laughing i was like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah there's there was yeah, yeah, there yeah, was yeah. some good stuff there was some stuff i didn't really know was why like i mean i know it actually happened so like you include it but you could not have included the side storyline about the husband lost of the war maybe i don't know like that didn't seem like it was a big enough thing i agree i thought about that when it ended and i went oh good yeah she was great she was <laughs> great was and she was, i don't know if i needed that from her i, I feel like Lily they gave Collins. her okay there's some thank you dave for saying that i feel like they gave her a more interesting obstacle than maybe mank had <laughs> like they were trying to like give her something to enrich her character but if she, well, and hers hers was just like giving hmm. her you know what i mean it she was, was so good though was she was such a not, she was felt... such a good supporting thing to him that i feel like there was already yeah. some strange tension there between them because she was such a good virtuous seemingly good virtuous person dealing with this mess of a human being anyway thanks for pointing that out that was right. good jeff what do you think what was your favorite yeah. part i would say i would say similarly to, to what dave said but anytime 
that Mank was clearly on the opposite political persuasion. And you can see in the room, they did a good job with the reaction shots of, of not just extras, but other stars that are just responding with their looks of whenever somebody would say something like socialism is when the wealth is controlled by everyone. Communism is when the poverty is controlled by everybody or, so, you know, something like that. They would say these things, but like the way that the way that Mank was, as you said, John, the voice of reason, but just as the dissenting voice who speaks out and if nothing else makes the people who disagree with him laugh. Mm-hmm. And so therefore he's in the club, mm. you know, like they, they said something funny about William Random Hearst, who is the financier of a lot of these movies because he was a, a mining tycoon who owned the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, so he funded all the movies. He didn't direct or produce any of them, really. Well, I guess he, by by financing them, he pr- produced them. Um, Charles Dance just liked having him around, yeah. even though he disagreed <laughs> with them. And and like that, I think that's really yeah. cool. And I think that they nailed that part of the story. That, 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 that was that, a very interesting reveal the, there. That the walk and talk yeah. scene from after Mankiewicz throws up and makes a fool of himself when Randall William Randolph Hearst walks him out of his yeah. gigantic mansion and escorts him to the yeah. door. That was brilliant. Charles Dance played it fucking beautifully the filmmaking was spot on i wasn't thinking about anything it was really really excellent especially after yeah, gary so. oldman put on such a giant i the one thing show. i did notice was like he had, he had servants Last... standing around just to turn the fucking lights on yeah. turn the lights on yes that's what I, yeah did you guys think guys this last thing i want to ask you this last thing i want to ask did you feel like uh gary oldman who is such a committed method actor do you think he got a little lost in the alcoholism. Do you feel like it distracted you ever? You were watching a brilliant actor, like just really, really wasted all the time. Or did you feel like it always serviced the story? I feel like, yeah, I no, I feel it like it, it, it serviced the story. Like when we got to that dinner party, it was fucking uncomfortable to watch. That was my favorite. Um, yeah, yeah. Part, yeah. And he, he went all in on that yeah. and, it was a solid performance. Like there's even these subtle little trips down the stairs. It's like, I recognize those. Apparently that was like, he, he didn't do, go for it. He didn't do the Ben Affleck in, in uh, the way back where it was only about the alcoholism. The alcoholism was never the only thing. You know what I mean? It was never the, the reason he was drunk. He wasn't drunk because he was mm. an alcoholic ever in this movie, even though most alcoholics probably would, but he kept it more active. There was always something bugging him. There was always something on his mind, something he was yeah. trying to do or accomplish that kept it, Active. I agree. I that worked Especially out as well. since he filmmaking uh wise, David Fincher always does like tons of takes. He did that scene over a hundred times. Yeah, there was, there was one with, yeah, takes. There was one with Amanda Seyfried. He did she did like two hundred times. And yeah. she didn't even so have a she that, didn't even have a line. Right. Just the fact that Gary was able to sustain <laughs> the impediment in that amount right. of takes, it's really it really is remarkable. So mm. watch this movie. Yeah, give it a shot. Go see it. Tell us, because there's some really yeah. fucking exciting stuff, and that performance is awesome. I cursed! Oh no, we have to do the thing! What? We've been cursing the whole way through. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, Jeff. All right, people. We gotta take a pee break, but go see Mank. It's on Netflix. You're gonna be hearing more about Gary Oldman in the next couple months. Yeah. So, do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Herman Mankiewicz, Oscar winner. All right, people. We're gonna take a quick break to pee, and we are gonna be back to talk about Tom Hardy in... Come home. And we're back, people. (laughs) We are back. We're at it. Is Property Daddy still uh, shouting us out? Is he clapping? I mean, he's, he's, he's can't actually see if he's online or not but i, I will tell you uh, carlos if you're listening i just cracked a black lid i'm that confident we can redeem this oh, film no, the nine percenters <laughs> baby i should tell you this segment's Shit. gonna go dave's on the nine percenters <laughs> if ever there was a movie <laughs> the imperial stout oh, by carlos Barroza. all right people so we're gonna be talking about our presumed Razzie nominee. Now, just to get into this, we are a positive film podcast. This is a gimmick, <laughs> right? So we are. Oh no! Oh no! You're not setting it up. <laughs> oh no! So this is we we don't we don't have a podcast so that we can shit on films. It's actually quite the contrary. Our job is to talk positively about films. I think we did it the best we could with the last film. You know, trying to get everything we wanted to say, but keeping it positive. I do believe that. So this film, Capone. 
I, I guess what? It's about Al Capone. Shock to everybody, right? So um, Tom Hardy plays famous Chicago mobster Al Capone in his later years in life. One of those little timelines don't matter things. But let's just say the last year of his life, he has been living in this mansion in South mm-hmm. Florida as you do. for eight years. Because as most people know, Al Capone um, suffers from what they call in this film neurosyphilis, which I found hilarious. <laughs> but I guess that's what it's actually called. And apparently he got it when he was 14. <laughs> I did not know that. So thank you for this movie so that now I know. I got one thing out of this. Neurosyphilis started in Al Capone's body before I mean, the age I, of 15. I would... I um, would so anyway. Basically, I'd put a caveat down as believing anything this movie presented as fact. <laughs> Good point, Josh Trash, Josh Trank. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so this is our presumed Razzie film. So we're gonna have to do our best to try to, um, you know, give a, a positive take on this. We love Tom Hardy. Yes. That is no surprise to anybody who listens. We love Tom Hardy. Awesome um, in Venom. So this is Al Capone's last. Awesome and awesome and a lot of yeah. Dave loves Venom, of course. Of course, that's the Tom Hardy film you choose. <laughs> yeah, Dave, who's seen I mean, all I also did like this year. He says Tom Hardy from I, I, Venom. I did like yeah. him in uh, Terminator Salvation as well. Yeah, how about um? What about his Star Trek movie? Wait, Can you do, remind Sa- me which Star Trek movie? Salvation? Is? <laughs> that's for even bringing <laughs> that fucking salvation? thing up. <laughs> uh, I don't remember him in Salvation, but maybe Sam I don't know. He's a band of brothers. Maybe it is. <laughs> yeah, they're they're, they're irreplaceable. Drink. <laughs> sure, right, sure. Okay. <laughs> the best part of Capone was Blackland. Sam Worthington as Al Capone. Okay, I'm off track. I'm off track here. First things first. This is on Prime. This is on yeah, Amazon, Amazon Prime, Prime right yeah. now. It obviously did not come out in Sorry, theaters. Uh, Josh Trank, who unfortunately did the the final um, uh, Fantastic Four movie that will, will maybe will ever be made. No, there's um, a new one. They've announced it. He also made Chronicle. Yeah, but I thought it was just Disney+. Plus. Who gives a shit? Okay, anyway, so Tom Hardy is in this film, and he's playing Al Capone in his final year of life, who is suffering from um, dementia, which was caused by having the neuro... Syphilis? <laughs> the neurosyphilis <laughs> for Hashtag more than 30... It's funny. It's yeah. funny. For over 30 years of his life, and yes, penicillin was discovered during his time of life, but it had already taken its toll. So he's going crazy. He's shitting himself. Yes. Literally, <laughs> he's shitting the bed. When he's full um, method too, and I'm, that's I'm a real wondering. thing that happens apparently when you have a he's full method. Get all those smells that everybody was smelling. All right. Anyway, um, that's what this movie's about. I a bunch of prunes before that take, huh, Tommy? <laughs> so, so, and the reason the reason that odds makers, not us, odds makers believe that this is going to be nominated for some Razzie awards is because it has a four point seven on IMDb. It has a 46 out of 100 on Metacritic, and it is a 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. And the user reviews on Rotten Tomatoes are worse. It's actually 25% of users. And so you're listening at home to this part of the podcast, and you're wondering, why am I even listening to this? Clearly, I shouldn't watch it. Tom Hardy's fucking awesome. He's an awesome actor. So we're going to talk about this goddamn movie, all right? Let's do it, people. Who wants to get us going? And to add to that list. Sorry to all of Dave's friends. Just to to kick that. The HFCS, which is the Hawaii Film Critics Society. This is the nicest state in the union. They have nominated this for the worst film of the year. So, <laughs> yeah, but they're kind. They probably said it with a way like, "We know you try." Yeah, they like passed you, you a know, joint. Like, yeah, I know. Uh, Linda Cardellini, Matt Dillon, good cast. Yeah. Good cast. Cardellini was um, awesome in this. I mean, to yeah, be she honest, really did a good job. so was Tom Hardy. He was he was okay, great in yeah. this. Not for a second did you not believe he was an aging man losing his mind with dementia. Yeah, his eyes and got, even his even the look, like they they points. he loves having the makeup plastered on him, but like the look, they got pretty much right. All right, yeah. right. So, I I'm going to disagree with you. I I I feel this way about right off the bat. Yeah, come am, on, we're a positive film podcast. No, say, it, 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 there is positive criticism in here. I always believe Tom Hardy. I, I I do think he's a good actor, and I think there are some people who are, are not Tom fans, and I, I don't understand it. I think he's got a a wide range. I think he's really great. But one thing that I always have to kind of just sign on for every time I go see a Tom Hardy movie is that he's going to be doing a different voice. And sometimes the voice does or doesn't work for me. Sometimes it can be a little distracting. I always believe what's behind the voice. He's a wonderful, he has a wonderful Everybody knows when you see a Tom Hardy film, turn on the fucking subtitles. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. It's going to be a little weird. I I remember even (laughs) the the first time. The remnant he made up his accent. That's my favorite Tom Hardy's trivia. Jeff, the first time I saw 
you and I went and saw the Revenant together with a, a buddy of ours. And I think you and I had a similar conversation yeah. when we walked out. I still bought everything just like with this film, but this was probably the most I had to work to get past the voice. And I don't yeah. know if I, oh, I thought you were going to say you like this better than the Revenant. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I think this one, this one, this one got in the way for me. I still, I saw him in his, you know, I had saw in his eyes. I have a, you know, a decent sized television. I was able, I kind of pulled up a little closer. I was like, he's, he's doing the work. I'm believing what's behind it. I just don't know why they cast him. I, I feel like there were other. He's been cast. He was cast for 10 years to do I this know, role. And I, he's not even 47 I know, and yet I believe, in real are, life. And he's British. Let me, let me the take thing it is, to is the it, next point that I can't think about. Is it the voice or is it what was written for him? The shedding the bed. Is it oh, sorry, what or is it what he was saying? Like what was written for him? Because well, I lay the blame Some, yeah. for this entire film squarely on Josh Trank. It was like written by, directed by, edited by. He probably did fucking edited catering by. as well. So, you know, it's like at some point, <laughs> yeah. hand off your project to like another collaborator so that you get, you know, it might've been a better film if he had have taken a step back and let some other people collaborate. Probably. Which was I, your I favorite that... shitting the pants moment? Because he shat his pants a couple times I think in this my, movie. My favorite, my favorite, favorite is the end one, the, the FBI interview. Yeah. Um, that whole, yeah. Yes, yeah. the FBI interview. The bed one was funny, but it ended too quick. Sorry, John. The we're talking about something serious. Tragic. We're talking about uh, Razzie favorite. <laughs> this man takes we're a talking shit about a movie he's supposed screen. to be nominated for a Razzie. This yes. man takes a shit on screen, so you know. John's like, hmm, let's break down the screenplay for a second. Um, what? <laughs> I guess I don't. I, all right, okay. all right, this is this is what I went into this movie thinking. And again, I don't. I'm not saying like I hate it when people go in with a movie in their head and when they're constantly thinking about a movie in their head. This isn't this isn't what I was doing, but I was. Afterwards, I was thinking like, all right, what can we, what can we say, you know, to try to redeem this movie? Hmm. I was a little confused why they cast an actor who was younger than Capone to play up and not take advantage of that fact to have him play flashbacks. I yeah. kept thinking they're going to flash back at some point and we're going to get a little bit more context for how he got here, even though Capone is really famous and we've all seen, you know, maybe movies that are based on him, maybe most famously. Although... Um, I mean, um, a couple of weeks ago, the, a couple of weeks ago with the Five Bloods, it worked perfectly. Hmm. Where they were going, but they were still flashing back. Yeah, they were flashing back, but they were flashing back as themselves. Yeah. So they basically, they yeah, basically they flipped it. So and I don't think his, those flashbacks. <laughs> so I don't think his are these were. I don't know if these were actual flashbacks or if these were this. No, this no, this was dementia trips. trips, and like from that perspective. Yeah. It was done extremely well. Like, and uh, the, I thought so for, too. for anyone who wants to come into this movie knowing what to expect, it's kind of like The Godfather meets The Shining. It was. I, what did you think, though? I will ask you specifically. Matt Dillon's character was introduced realistically away from Tom Hardy. How was he not real? Did you guys catch that? We went to his apartment yes. in New York yeah, 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 in yeah. real time. And he was having sex with that woman, and he got the phone call, and then he's not real. That that that, that literally confused me. Dude, I was so confused by that point. I was so confused by that point. I missed the point that he wasn't real. Yeah. Well, because he was the guy in the flashback that, and that that actually might have been a dementia trip that was based in reality. I guess so. I mean, sense. I guess that's what it was. But there were multiple times. Anyway, what, what I was saying was there was there was I thought they were going to give us a little bit more context because unless you've seen. You know, some movies that like Public Enemy and some things that are loosely based on him. And uh, Jeff, what is that goddamn De Palma movie? Robert De Niro plays Capone and Kevin Costner, The, the, the Untouchables. The Thank you, The Untouchables. So we've seen, you know, that's probably the most famous one where they try to realistically portray Capone. Yeah. But that is for like, that is like for four Sean months Connery's where they're working a case. <laughs> no, it's great. That scene well, where he, and then, that um, scene where he walks back like into the, the shack 50s, to interrogate someone is amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. It's yeah. awesome. It's a good movie. Uh so I wanted more. I guess I was kind of expecting them yeah. so to if you, actually if you, if you play to us with talk, his reality. If you listen to us talk about Capone, go watch The Untouchables. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, Jad. Well, what about... Okay, so let, let's say this, though, because there are some... There are some um, I second everything you're saying, and I'm just not going to dive into that for this very second. But let, let's say this. There were a lot of moving sequences. So a lot of these, we're calling them dementia mm. trips. I don't know why we coined that, but let, that's yeah. just Great. what they are. Um, that 
that these sequences, so one scene trickles into another. Very Sinitas esque, by the yeah. way. Shout out to our Sinitas uh, donors. Thank you so much for giving us money. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? What did, did some of did some of the sequences catch you? Yes. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I thought that then, there were so which one. The the first the next, uh, the, the first, next was the first fun. torture scene for Matt Dillon's character. The first time they went in, that guy fucking stabbed the shit out of him. Eventually, yeah, for like five man. minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was like... And that scene didn't come out of nowhere. That that was like the third scene mm. in a sequence, so kudos. Yeah, Josh. I thought that there there were moments that worked. Josh. Uh, yes, there, there were definitely a lot of moments that worked for me. I just wasn't quite sure. I wasn't quite sure. And you don't need to know this when you're watching a movie. I lo- this My favorite filming, feeling when I'm watching a really excellent movie that is... I, I understand what you said, Dave, but I don't really mind if somebody has a lot of control as long as they're really they're really nailing it. You know, you can just tell when somebody isn't really nailing it, and so a collaborator would and be it helpful. Really, my wasn't. favorite feeling yeah. it really was <laughs> my favorite feeling when I'm watching a movie is that I'm not quite sure what's happening, but I'm in good hands. I know I'm in good hands, and this is all going to come together, and there's going to be some kind of deliverance. And I felt like the entire time I had that the bad version of that where I didn't know what was happening and I didn't know where we were going. And I wasn't sure Josh Trank was going to wrap it up. And so that I was going to have this catharsis. So there were mm. moments that were filmed really well. They were acted, you know, pretty damn well. And that were not written badly. And I just wasn't sure after the fact why I watched any of it. I'm, I'm not quite sure that's, how it I all mean, fit together. That's a, and what that's the point a of similar it note I have here. It's like, what was the purpose of this whole film? Like, I really feel yeah. sorry for Tom Hardy because he, at times, really acted his ass off. Linda Carnalini did amazingly as the, the long-suffering wife. Um, ev- like, all the cast was solid, but there was just nothing here. There was no thread, no redemption, no real story, nothing. I think... What was the story, I guess guys? Be they're too what obsessed. was the story? What was the... They're too... Ob- they're, they're too obsessed with Capone. This is a guess. I, I'm not, I'm not going to speculate too much. Um, they're too obsessed with Capone and not the... What happens to someone who had power, money, and everything, and then it all comes yes. crumbling down? Like the yes. human journey of that, and 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 we cared way too much about the fact that it was Capone. When the truth is, this wasn't even really no, Capone it was anymore. A, you know, yeah, so even I, the questions, like, like, well, it was sustaining for a little bit. Where I'm like, how is this guy living in this house? How does he have this much? He's been in prison for ten years. He hasn't had a paycheck in twenty. The government should have seized every asset, including this house. Why is he even there? So that sustained me for a little bit. So that Capone element was fun. The fact that he could do whatever. I don't even know if the shit he was doing was real or if it was imaginary, which is fine. That's okay. But what, what, why, why is any of this happening? And I think the answer to all of my questions is just, well, it's, it's Al Capone. And also, like, why, like, if you were right. going to make a movie called well, Capone, said, dude, why, would you, why would you pick this point in his life? Like, there is... Why would you, well, there, why would, why would is, you pick it unless no you're going to do what Jeff was saying? That's, unless yeah. you're going to do what Jeff was saying, if, if Capone was going to be a good vehicle to explore those issues, then sure, mm, we all know him. Right. Now now we have access to it. Let's go for a ride. But I don't think they did that. I think they kept trying to ride the mobster line, which yeah. didn't make any fucking sense when it was mostly, it was supposed to be about his mental decline. And they kept trying to make it about right. Capone, the legacy of the the ultimate mobster. And that that was way less interesting to me than than if they would have really delved in to seeing somebody battle with that. And I don't know if part if I if I had Josh Trank across to me, I would want to ask him, were you trying to did you want me to judge Al Capone? Or did you want me to to actually see what what the end of life can be like for someone who goes from the top to the bottom? Because I feel like those are two different stories. Yeah, was I'm, I supposed I'm not to go sure. on the dementia I'm, journey or I'm the, not sure the fall what he was trying bricks. to say here. Like, and then we have that whole thing with the uh, the alligator and the tidal wave and the, you know, the. I mean, I know, I know, I know. The tidal wave was, was fun. Cool. You probably wish you did I, that. I'm effect. glad I didn't. Actually, that would have taken weeks. <laughs> yeah, you would have been paid for it, but yeah, that was a very cool effect. That was a cool sequence. It was, but what what was the point of that? After all of everything we've been through, that hadn't even touched on any of that. Like it was, but if it had just been things like that, I think he could have weaved together a lot of really interesting, where Capone was committed and sincere, and not just sitting there with the camera pointed at him, where he was totally spaced out. And he could have puzzled those pieces together so that it would have had an interesting narrative, and it would have commented on what Jeff was saying. Yeah. This is what it feels like when you're scrambled. Also, this, but is he a... said, I'm, I don't know what the fuck it was. I do, yeah. <laughs> 
I want to bring up an interesting point too because I had to like because I don't know that much about Capone I'm not like big on the history um, I know a little bit but I didn't know when he died and I felt like this was the 60s not the 40s mm. It was a Scarface that have like a. Scarface it was no. Feel, it was more the color was like the, it, the color but... was vibrant. The color it was yeah. like nothing dated it until they showed it a radio, and I was like filmmaking was. I thought weird. about that, Dave. Like, yeah. was it a trap? And the was it a trap? Because obviously, this is a decision, listeners, that you have to make early on. We're stuck in fucking Florida. Do we film it realistically with bright, vibrant colors, or do we do we stylize it? I kind of wanted him to stylize it a little bit because that did throw yeah. me off a little bit that it was so vibrant. Yeah. I know there was probably something that he was hoping would come from that. Uh, but I don't know. For you guys, tell me if you agree with this. Also, he has dementia. What, what, is, what are we doing with all these bright colors as if we're in like uh, where what dreams may My dreams come or whatever come, with yeah, Robin yeah. Williams? Like, <laughs> it, it was so bright that the guy has dementia. It's okay to gray up the palette a little yeah. bit. I, I wanted a little bit more style. And, and yet, mm. I'm not quite sure. This is just sometimes art works and it doesn't. Did you guys have the feeling when it finally got to Capone at the very beginning, when it finally showed you the title slate and that music dropped? I was were you like, worried? Were you what nervous? What the yeah. fuck movie are we? I was like, what's yeah. happening? That was- guys, <laughs> filmmakers, filmmakers, do not put Nessun Dorma in your film. Fucking for the love of God. There, there are there, other there, That is the only fucking opera aria in any film. And they played this four fucking times. We had so many chances to get another film and we're sitting here. First of all, it was it was Pavarotti, right? Pavarotti wasn't even singing yet by the time this movie takes place. Have some balls and pick an aria and even put Callus when she's younger. <laughs> Remaster it or something. Nessun Dorma is such a fucking cheap shot, right? God, a Mission Impossible movie blows people up at the high note. Like it's it's done. It's 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 done. You might as well have put Stairway to Heaven in this fucking movie. Like get out. Stop it. Jesus. How long have you been holding on to that? (laughs) It's John's favorite uh, favorite opera, but God damn it, does Nessun Dorma need to take a fucking break? Retire it. It's the pop culture version of opera arias. Like, there are other really beautiful things. Point, all right, all right, let me try to redeem it here. You're right, Dave. Linda was wonderful. My favorite Mm -hmm. moment in this whole movie is when she slaps the shit out of him. That When he says something to her and she says, what the fuck? And she slaps him. He spits in her face, yeah. And she hits him so fucking hard and he goes down so hard. I laughed and he he performed that fall really well. He was out like a light. I guess I guess I wanted wanted a little bit more of her. I kept feeling like, oh, let me go a little bit down this road. And I wonder what they're thinking a little bit more. And whenever you have that feeling, you know, it's always a bad sign. Hmm. I kind of wish this movie was completely from her point of view since Capone was so utterly unrelatable. Like, like yeah, we could it, not understand was, what the fuck was happening to him. So give half me the time her point understand what the fuck he was saying either. So it was it was like yeah. what, what, what I feel like, yeah, and somebody did describe this in a review. Yeah. That all the secondary characters were literally just foils to accentuate his experience. Like there there was no texture to them. There's no reason then I think Cardellini comes came the most to actually having a layered character. Um, yeah. But the rest of them were literally just there to bounce off what he was doing. Well, which is that in a normal, that's not the right word. Follow me. When you're dealing with a protagonist, there are typically sub supporting characters that are going to come in and do exactly that. They're going to foil, they're going to challenge, and we might not need to know their entire point of view and story as long as there is a journey for the protagonist. Do you guys think his character learned anything in this entire film? That's really what it came down to, was that these people didn't change him at all. No. His circumstance did not change him. Like the, the, so the, I don't really the know if there was this, any the, reason. The description of this film is he starts to regret his uh, previous violence. And I didn't get that at <laughs> all. He's literally, thank just, you, thank he's you. literally yes. just wandering through it in a fucking day state. I agree, dude. I agree. That oh. was what I, I... And maybe I should not have read that description. I, I don't know if anybody else... Sometimes I, I mean, like it, reading them. Sometimes I wish I hadn't. I wish I hadn't read that one. Yeah, it's right there on the fucking screen before you hit play. It's it's like that's what they went with, and that was not what we got. Yeah, and I'm sure that to to Josh Trank, you know, let's tip our hats for a second. I'm sure that is a very difficult line to walk when you're dealing with a protagonist who is having a, an in, intense mental decline with dementia. But I don't, I, I don't, I think there maybe is a more creative way to imagine 
what it would feel like to go through that and still, quote, learn something as an audience member through what's happening to this character. And I just don't know if he achieved that. I know that's, mm. I hate saying that, but I wanted to love this movie. I love Tom Hardy and everybody around him did a good job. Matt Dillon, that scene when he's next to him by the bed, I was all in. I was like, this is cool, dude. He's doing a good job. I feel like he's right from that period. I'm, I, I liked yeah, it. I liked Al Sapienza, his brother-in-law, Ralphie. Mm. I think it's his brother. Excuse me. I think it's his brother. I thought he did a great job. Like there was that whole They're extra thing with the kid that kept calling the house. The son, Tony. Yeah. yeah. The and like there was, the, yeah, there was, the there was yep. almost no point to that storyline either. There was no yeah. point to the hidden money. Um, yeah. That was like almost a device just to keep the story going. Uh, and which yeah. led to the scene at the end where he shits himself during the interview. Like there were, I, I feel like everything, that whole storyline was put in there for that one scene. And it, it's just, yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff that should have worked and didn't. And I, 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 I'm landing it squarely on the writing, guys. I'm landing it squarely on the writing. Definitely started with that. I don't know what he was going for, but it just, yeah. yeah any, if filmmaking anyway. is an extension of a writing a script, then, yeah, the writing yeah, engine. You're, right. you're only as good as your source <laughs> material. Uh, I, I dare I, you. I want to take issue with the Tommy gun. I'm sorry. A, a fucking gold Tommy gun? You like the Tommy <laughs> that's, gun? That's, yeah. that's, that could, didn't happen. I could not no, stop thinking it about... Real, right? When we were talking about... Um, what was the racing movie with Sylvester Stallone? And, oh, uh, uh, Dave. The racing movie? The, the race. The, oh, yeah. The, the chase across the country. Death Race 2000. Death, Death Death race. Yeah. I could not stop thinking about when Jeff said, and Slavon pulls out a depression era machine gun <laughs> talking about atomic gun. I could not stop thinking about that. Depression that made era, me yeah. fucking yes. piss myself. I dare you. Here's my drinking game. Okay. I dare you to drink every time you can't understand Tom Hardy. I dare you. You kill people. No, no, I have a better drinking game. <laughs> I dare you to drink. I dare you to drink every time you think he sounds like the grandfather from vague, from um Christmas vacation. The blessing. The blessing. Yeah. The blessing. <laughs> <laughs> that just overflowed. Nestor Dorm is the wrong song. The Nestor Dorm is about how no one will sleep cuz I will win. He's dying. <laughs> Choose Adil Fiorito Azil about how he's saying goodbye to the house cuz he can't see like I mean, I'm, really, I'm sorry. The, That's the, the 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 only thing you've got to criticize is fucking music choices. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at with this film. When I heard Dave, it the third or fourth time, I was just, I was like, "Fucking choice." Dave, what's your drinking game? What are you What are you gonna paralyze us with in this movie? I, I bring mean, us I, home I, with a drinking game. Yeah, I don't know. I think you. Come on, the carrot for a cigar was funny. I I would have to say <laughs> that, was, okay, well. that was funny. I I couldn't even tell you what like the drinking game would be for every minute this is playing. To be honest, oh, oh, get out of here! Was, every oh time you kill, God. every time you you celebrate the fact that he's trying to kill a crocodile, and you're like, you know what, crocodile should go. Not a good movie, but god damn it, he killed a crocodile. They're a fucking menace. That's Shoot good em. for the world. Yeah, no, um, actually, sorry, I'm so sorry, what? people. It's their alligators. They're yeah, they're, they're alligators. Um, what uh, what was the significance of the kid on the other side of the lake, or whatever was on the other side of the lake going on? Did you, did anyone pick up on that? He was being watched. They were banging it over the head that he he felt like he was being watched. We know he was being watched because they told us in the opening credits yeah. he was being watched. So he was sitting there. It's like I think I'm being watched, and we're <laughs> like, you are. That. Yeah, they told us that. <laughs> <laughs> He was like, they're watching us, the fucking feds, man. And we're like, yes, you're in a federal compound. That's your parole. Get out of here. Like, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's okay. Yeah I, yeah, I think, yeah, this was uh, this was a miss for me. I, I can't redeem this. Yeah, so far, you, think, you guys, so you guys, far. Thumbs up or thumbs down on this movie? This, hold on, wait. We've watched four, four, four so far. This is my Razzie vote so far. I would rather watch the, the last thing he wanted than this movie. How about you guys? I know you both had a lot of issues with the last thing he wanted. I think this was worse than that movie. Huh. Mm. Yes, I, I think this is worse than that movie. I'm thinking, okay, we did Fantasy Island, and then what was, what was the first? Fantasy oh, Island was um, better than this. Dr. Doolittle, yeah. This is probably my... Dr. Doolittle was so way better than this, this yeah. Um, yeah that, Yo, I wait, think... wait, 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 way better, dude. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, too bad, positive I, I, film he criticism. He should still get a movie. I mean, Maybe I, not a Star at Wars the end movie. Of, at the end of this, we're definitely going to do a special show where we make our list. For our predictions, yeah. and then whole, it's too bad because yeah. we were trying to avoid it, but it has to happen. Yeah, it has to happen. I All loved. People, oh, mm. wait, last, uh, Kyle <laughs> McLaughlin was my saving grace in this film. It, <laughs> it was. It was fun to see him do a grounded role. 
It was it's after yeah, all the eccentric it. stuff he's been doing lately. It was, it was fun to see him do he, something normal. Him and Linda Cardellini were in a better movie than this. <laughs> yeah, <Sure>. dude. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 Tom, and Tom Hardy is good, but, but you know, anyway. Um, yeah. All right, people, that's it. Thank you for, for sticking around to the end of this. So both of these movies are streamable, Mank on Netflix, and then Capone with the drinking game, I hope, available on Amazon Prime right this very second. Join us next week. Does somebody Ooh, please have this up? Because I had Jeff's technical like issues it. before we started. Uh, next week, I'm gonna like next it. week we're doing the Sound of Metal. Nice! Yeah. I've seen it twice already. Yes. I've been and holding off. I'm so excited. Yay. Me too. And also on Prime. a film called 365 Days. I have no idea what that even is. I've never even heard of it. Not this year. We had a leap year. It's 366 this year. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, of course, because 2020 needed an extra day. Where are both of those, Dave? Uh, where where are those watchable? Uh, I don't know. That'll go on the uh, on the socials as soon as I uh, figure it out after the show. Well, Sound of Metal is definitely on Prime. There you go. Yeah, for sure. Sound of Metal oh, is definitely I, on Prime. Okay, I see. I, I, I'm, think, I'm thinking a Sound of Metal watch party. Uh, Three sixty five days is on Netflix, and Sound of Metal is on Prime. Nice. Cool. All awesome. right, people. We'll see you next week. Thanks for another episode of The Love of Cinema Pod. Take care.